It's Monday, April 18th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer. I'm sitting in for Chris Hill this week. I'm joined by Bill Barker from Motley Fool Asset Management and Andy Cross and Jason Moser from Motley Fool Stock Advisor. Guys, welcome. Hey, Mac. Thanks, Mac. Hey, Mac. Okay, guys. On Monday, um, the big news with the market was the S&P cutting its outlook on U.S. sovereign debt from stable to negative. The S&P cited large budget deficits and rising government debt as a couple of the reasons. Bill, this isn't the sexiest story, um, but yet the market's clearly reacted to it. It's a story that matters to investors. What's going on here? Well, you know, I, th- I think this is something that uh, connects back to starting with the uh, election last fall and uh, some actual uh, movement, uh, a lot of talk, a tiny bit of movement on actually attacking what is a growing problem, and, and that is the national debt. And this is one piece of that puzzle, which is uh, S&P noting formally that if nothing is done, uh, the U.S. debt is not going to be as sure a bet as it historically has been. And S&P quite reasonably has some concerns that a deal is not going to be reached, despite the talk from both sides of of the political aisle that, that they want something done, but whether anybody can ever find any agreement or that they would do so within the next two years is something that Standard Poor's has basically uh, said there's at least a one-third chance that nothing will be done. And if, if nothing is done, it, people have good reason to uh, want more money when they lend their money to the United States than they have in the past. Okay, so so Andy, follow up on that last point. What does that mean for investors in concrete terms? A few numbers here, Mac. The, the scary part is that the the U.S. debt as a percentage of our GDP is now going, by the end of this fiscal year, will end up over 100%. So where this gets really scary is that if investors start doubting the ability for the U.S. government, to pay, the federal government, to pay back the interest payments on our debt, they, it increases the borrowing costs on that debt. That trickulates all the investors, including us here, because it a- increases the borrowing costs for us. So what's interesting is that the U.S. debt level has grown 15% annualized over the last three years, and yet our interest payments per year have actually fallen 1% per year. So if our interest payments, if the cost of the debt goes up, that's going to be substantial amounts more of interest payment the U.S. government has to make. That increases our borrowing costs as investors, so corporations have to start paying more, and that trickles down to investors, um, and ultimately could potentially hurt stock prices too. Jason? Yeah, so Mac, I mean, you made a good point at the beginning here. It's, maybe it's not the sexiest story, and possibly the redundancy of the headlines when you see things like this. Probably most Americans are not necessarily concerned with this, first and foremost, because they don't see how it maybe affects them day to day. But, you know, kind of piggybacking on, on what Andy was saying there, you know, if we look at the current debt in numbers, uh, so today the current debt, I looked this up, it's over $14 trillion. Now, if we put that into perspective, that means that each citizen of this country, based on a you know recent population count of just a little over 310 million, essentially each individual citizen is about $46,000 in the hole right now as we speak. Me, you, my kids, your kids, yep. everybody. So, I mean, think about that, $46,000 in the hole. And that's only going to get worse. And it's more than double that for the for the taxpayers. Yeah. So if you include just if you count just taxpayers, it's more than a hundred thousand. So you're talking about a lot of money that starts to pile up. And if the borrowing costs go up, that's going to be trouble for investors. <laughs> and then the interesting thing, the interesting thing I saw on this was actually a quote out of the White House. How they called this just a political judgment that shouldn't be taken too seriously. Well, I think actually that the, the what S and P did today, although belated and and uh, 
probably should have been done a while ago, uh, is is a good thing. It does put pressure on both parties to actually do something rather than talk about why the other side is bad for not doing what they want. Exactly. That is a point. crazy idea. And that's why it'll that's why <laughs> I'm it'll not saying it'll fixed, be though. enough pressure. I think that's it, it, why it'll get fixed, though, because eventually the people will insist on something being done. It's not a, a one-party yeah. thing. It's we got to get this together. And the other crazy ideas are the credit rating agencies acting in a belated fashion. Where did we see this before? Wow, that's it, a sh- it, real shocker it's there. It's not as belated as the last time. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. if, we're talking, like if we're talking about the housing crisis where the yeah. rating agencies were really far behind. you know, <laughs> Sarcasm is the wit of fools here. Okay, so kind of the exit question here. As you look at this story, what's the big question you have going forward? What's one thing you're looking for, you're going to be looking at as this unfolds? Yeah, I mean, personally, but, you know, I want to see over the course of the next few weeks, whether we see anything from Moody's or Fitch ratings, I mean, these these uh, ratings agencies uh, tend to act, uh, you know, in sequence. And I think that you probably see something from Moody's or Fitch ratings over the course of the next few weeks. It'd be interesting to see one way or another. And at fourteen point what six three or six trillion dollars, the debt level of the U.S. is now starting to push the ceiling that we're actually allowed to go up to. So Congress actually has to do something to raise that debt ceiling, and they have to, or else we will be in a lot of trouble there. Bill? I, I think the most interesting thing is just to see whether the how, how the parties respond to this and whether it's productive in, in any way. I, I, I agree we're, we're likely to see Moody's and Fitch pile on in the near future. Uh, they're, they're not going to, I think, stake out independent turf on this one because the, you know, the numbers really don't look good for the U.S. On, on the track that it's on right now. And this could just be the catalyst that really we need is just, I mean, that headline pressure telling everybody, look, get it together, figure something out, make this work, or we're going to fire you, <laughs> fire somebody else to do the job. Okay, guys, moving on. As a native Houstonian, um, this story is near and dear to my heart. Um, on Monday, Houston-based Men's Warehouse. You know Men's Warehouse? I, know I do. I bought well. a suit there one time. Outstanding. Ten years ago. Okay. I don't have it on, but... Okay. Well, there you go. Men's Warehouse provided an update to its succession plan. So I think a lot of us, when we think Men's Warehouse, we think George Zimmer, who does the TV commercials, and he is now going to be the executive chairman of the board of directors, and taking his place as CEO will be President and COO Douglas Ewart. Um, So, guys, I want to talk about the business of Men's Warehouse in a minute. But first, let's talk about this idea of succession planning, because this is a plan that Men's Warehouse had put in place um, back in 2011. Bill Barker, as an investor, how important is succession planning? Well, I think in in this case, we're we're looking at a company which is uh, still led by its founder, uh, George Zimmer, and and that uh, this is something that is the kind of thing where people put more emphasis on what is happening once once he leaves you know you've got companies that you associate with founders and you've got companies that that you really don't and in Zimmer's case uh, I think there are some upsides although he's done a great job uh, building this company but there there are some aspects uh, of his leadership that have been slightly controversial uh, including his uh, making uh, guru Deepak Chopra a member of the board. This is something that not everybody knows when they look at the men's warehouse uh, commercials, uh, or that he's been as active as he's been in the legalization of marijuana and and ecstasy, for that matter. <laughs> that must so, be laid you know, back, this I is n- Bill Barker <laughs> coming with his research. <laughs> well, it's all what from, is the culture it's all like? from Wikipedia. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they can trust it to that, but the, you know, it's footnoted and sourced. So, 
you know, and I think that's great. Uh, and and but it it does go slightly against the vision that one has of men's business suits. And there there might be some in the investment community uh, that think that he's a little riskier uh, as a CEO than you know your fill in the blank you know business school type CEO, which is uh, you know what's what's following him now. And Andy, this has been a long-term market winner, the stock of Men's Warehouse. I was looking at the chart before we started taping, and you go back to the early 90s, it's done really well. Now, over the last five years, it's lagged the market. But what about the business? Well, it's also, I was looking at comparing the stock chart versus um, Joseph Bank, too, which has done phenomenally well over the last 10 years, which is kind of similar, but a little bit more of a broader portfolio of products rather than just really focusing on suits. It focuses on all different kinds of men's clothing. So, I mean, the business of Men's Warehouse, um, I mean, the, the company company itself, it generates very healthy cash flows, pays a little dividend, covers that dividend much far healthier than the United States federal government covers its interest payment. So there's no borrowing on the balance sheet. So that the, the business itself is healthy. Um, it just doesn't really do much. Like it's not, it's, it's returns on its capital aren't really that great. Um, and it's, uh, it's not the fastest growing business in the world. And the margins are very slim in that business. So from a business perspective, I'm, I'm not putting a whole lot of stock in Men's Warehouse. Yeah, it's a tough line of work to be in. And I mean, when you talk about founder-led businesses, I mean, when you think about something like Apple, for example, where Steve Jobs, we know Apple because of, of, of what Steve Jobs has been able to put together at this point in the game. And you count on that innovation. Now, when, when Jobs is no longer at the helm there, there is going to be that big question mark of innovation. What could they come out with next? And the thing that Men's Warehouse has, at least, you know, suits, there's not really a whole heck of a lot in regard to innovation there. I mean, a suit's a suit's a suit. So, I mean, you know, they're going to have to compete on cost. They're going to have to run, you know, the most efficient uh, you know, business as possible to really, to really get their stock prices to perform, to perform. But I think, you know, you made a good point there with the, the stock and beating, beating the market over the past 20 years and the last five years it's lagged. I mean, I, I wonder if that's maybe not, you know, a trend that we are in a little bit of a less formal society than we were 20 years ago. I mean, there are more virtual meetings. We're doing a lot more business over the Internet, stuff like that. Maybe people aren't needing to, you know, dress up as much. So, I, you know, it, I'd be interested to see more of the, the statistics on the market as a whole. Yeah, we, we have actually seen a little bit more of a resurgence over the last few years of, of, of um, dressing up. So, so suits and, I mean, our friend Bill Barker Bill, right yeah. there just looks nice in his suit pants. <laughs> collared shirt. Collared that's nice. shirt. That's, a, that's great. So there's there's actually while over the the trends I think have been more to more casual casual Fridays dress like the Motley Fool dresses here I think casual. over the last couple yeah. of years there has been more of a kind of um, resurgence in in men's dress clothing the challenge for something like men's warehouse are there are so many more outlets of where a man can buy that those yeah, um, a lot outfits more competition out there, online right? especially too you know online just a plethora so the price of competition has gone up drastically for men's warehouse. And um, just going back to the point about succession planning that we began with, um, Bill, you were talking about um, these businesses, and Jason, you were talking about founder-led businesses. So when we look at a men's warehouse, when we look at a Berkshire Hathaway with Buffett or Apple with Steve Jobs, Costco with Senegal, um, is that where we really need to understand the succession planning? And, and what do we need to understand as investors? Or is it something that basically we should know about any business, Johnson & Johnson, Coca-Cola, Pepsi? I think there are businesses where that's more relevant. I mean, if we looking at Coca-Cola, for example, or Johnson & Johnson, I'm much less concerned with something like that because those are products that are just going to typically sell no matter who's leading the company pretty much with the exception of, you know, the new uh, the new Coke uh you know, bungle. Uh, but with something like Berkshire Hathaway, where obviously Buffett has been been an integral part of building that culture, uh, something like Apple, where you know Jobs has played a, a pivotal role in the in, in the uh, innovation of the company, that's where I'm I'm much more concerned with it. Something like Men's Warehouse, uh, you know, 
given the risks that Bill has presented today with uh, with uh, Mr. Zimmer, <laughs> I, I don't know that I'm so concerned with that anymore. But let's but face it, the only reason we're talking about it is because we recognize him from the commercials. That's you right. know, I mean, the, yep. this is a company where we would not typically say. I really care about the succession plan of, of the CEO. Yep. Uh, and and we do because, oh, will he leave and not, not do his commercials for us anymore? And we'll have to get used to somebody else saying. And to clarify, he's still going to be the spokesperson. So I yeah. think the commercials are going to go on. But let's let's wrap this with that note. If those commercials were a stock, would you be buying, selling, or holding? I, You know, I have to compare them, and Andy mentioned uh, Joseph Banks before, which uh, at this point I associate the fact that I suppose I can go into Joseph Banks, and if I buy one suit, I can have every other thing in the entire store <laughs> given to me. Every time I see a commercial, it's buy a suit, get two suits free, buy a suit, get two shirts, two ties pants, a dog, a llama, whatever, you know, and it just seems to be that they have so cheapened their product, which used to be respected, but it really is not anymore in in the uh, tailor industry. And Men's Warehouse comes across as infinitely more credible based on their commercials. Wow. Okay. So you're, you're a buyer. Uh, well, we actually own it in uh, in the Motley Fool Asset Management Fund. So, uh, you know, we... I'm not talking about the stock, though. I'm talking about the commercial. <laughs> the, the commercial, yeah. Yeah. Jason? You know, I, I golly, the commercial, I can remember it forever. I mean, I've got to be a buyer here, you know? It's, it's, you think about going into this store, I mean, you know, you're going to get a good suit. Andy Cross? No, I'm selling the commercials. and No, I'm not a believer in the in the commercials. And Why is that? Well, I just don't... I mean, I don't think they, they don't resonate... But you bought one of their suits. I have. Why is that? I have. Well, that was location. So just happened to be in the spot where I was. And I needed a suit, and I needed a llama too. So is, I, I a, got a llama. So. And, and does the beard hurt him? Uh, I think the beard plays, but I don't think the commercials do. On that note, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks, Mac. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on Tuesday.